and this is our second sermon in the series that is going to be popping up now and again. And it's uh, on the statements that Jesus made, which are called the I am statements. Very famous phrases. And last time we had a look at kind of the most profound thing about these statements, um, the statements being, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The most profound thing about all these statements is the fact that the first two words, I am, is the personal name of the living God who is at work in the Old Testament of the Bible. So all these claims are tied together with the claim that Jesus is making of being God, of being the personal living God uh, who worked throughout the Old Testament. It's a huge claim to make. But he goes on to not just leave it as saying, I am God, because God's just a a label, isn't it? A name's just a name until you get to know someone. Um, So you might meet Neil at the door, and you you might find out his name's Neil, but that's just a name, isn't it? It's to identify an individual. But then you get chatting to Neil, you find out he's got a dog, he's the nicest person that you'll ever meet, and, and all these things. And actually, his name gets filled with meaning. And it's like that with this. So Jesus doesn't leave it just saying, I am, as we looked at uh, last, last time, about a month ago. But he fills it out by saying things like, I am the bread of life we're going to be looking at today. I am the bread of life. And I w- wonder whether you've ever just thought, what's the purpose of you? What's the purpose of us? Because that's what it comes down to. This is, what, um, this is what this statement that Jesus is making is posing to us. What is our purpose? Because it's funny, isn't it? We can go through life and never really ask this question. Everything that we invent as people that we make is made for a purpose, isn't it? There's got to be a, a purpose there. So whether it's a phone or clothing or art... It's all made sometimes quite obscure purposes, but it's all made for a purpose. And we know the reason why everything that we make is made, or you can Google it and find out. And in the medical world, uh, discoveries are being made all the time about what the purpose for different parts of the human body is, doesn't it? So we know that the purpose of red blood cells and kidneys and liver But the crazy thing is that we can go through life not knowing the purpose of us. We can know that the purpose of our heart is to pump blood around our body to keep us alive, but we don't know what the purpose of being alive is. It's silly, isn't it? Well, in our reading today, we see it comes down to this very question. The Jews who are in the crowd that meet with Jesus um, ask him, What are the works we have to do that God requires of us? Is to say, what do we have to do? What is my purpose? Because that's in response to Jesus saying, um, that's in response to Jesus saying how there is, don't work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. It's there in verse 27, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father has placed his seal of approval. And that leads him to say that. What, what is our purpose? What do we have to do? And the purpose 
that we all have, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, whatever we think about God or Jesus, the Bible, Jesus is saying here that the, pur- the purpose for each one of us is to believe in the one he has sent. That that's the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent. And of course, in the rest of the passage, Jesus keeps on referring to him being the one that God has sent. He is the sent one from God. And so that's it. That's what you're made to do. It's simply to believe. But it, it gets fleshed out, doesn't it? But this comes after quite a famous... I know the passage was already very long, but we're going to have to settle down because to give a bit of idea of this great statement that this leads on to, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that he, he's talking about um, what happened the previous day. Um, because at the start of our passage, we read the next day, the crowd, the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore. And it was quite a significant thing that happened next day, and it was very bready as well. So they're very related, and it's worth thinking about. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's actually the, the only miracle, other than the resurrection of Jesus, that's recorded in each of the four Gospels. I thought that was quite interesting. It might make us... Uh, wonder and think, actually, this must be very significant. And what, what that is, I've got papers all over here today, but um, so what happened in the feeding of the 5,000? So Jesus crossed over the lake of Galilee, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the amazing things that he had done, like healing all the sick people. And Jesus, after they crossed the lake, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples, like students, And he looked up and he saw this great crowd, about 5,000 men, and they're all swarming towards him. You can imagine the view, sat on the mountainside, high up, looking down, and this mass of people coming towards you. And Jesus turns to Philip, one of his uh, disciples, and he asks him, where shall we get food for for these guys' lunch? Where where shall we buy it from? Of course, Philip, Philip is gobsmacked. He thinks Jesus is having a laugh. He says, it would cost a fortune just to get enough bread to give everyone just one bite. And then Andrew, another another disciple, pipes up saying, here's a little boy's packed lunch of five small bread rolls and two little fish. But how many can that feed? They must have been pretty stressed out, mustn't they? I mean, they're roped in the last minute to provide, to cater for like 5,000 men. But of course... they're besides women and children. That's, so if that's 12,000 people, that's, is that the capacity for Cass Stadium? It's bigger. Oh, right. Oh, man. So think of that, catering for Cass Stadium, something like that. So, yeah. So they must have been stressed out. But Jesus just simply tells the disciples to get everyone to sit down and takes the little boys' packed lunch. He gives thanks, and he dished it out to everyone. To everyone. Amazingly, everyone had enough. In fact, there was more than enough because they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. And the people were so gobsmacked that they wanted to make Jesus king. However, knowing this, Jesus went away by himself from the crowd and he went by himself up a mountain. And then another famous passage happens where 
uh, Jesus goes up by himself and the disciples cross the sea back to the other side. And at night, Jesus walks on the water towards them. And this confuses um, the crowd who's trying to look for Jesus because that's, um, that's why at the start of our reading, they ask him, when did he get here? Because Jesus had literally just gone up the mountain and the next day he's over the other side of the lake. So that's why they ask, when did he get here? He walks on the water and he meets his disciples. But the feeding of the 5,000 seems to be an illustration that Jesus is picking up on to teach this great crowd who's following because he points out to this mass of people that actually they're following him because not because he did a sign that points to who he is, but because they got their bellies full. He says that, doesn't it? He says, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And it's easy to do that, isn't it? With God, with religion, to think, well, I just want stuff for me. But I just want to have my belly full in that sense, isn't it? I just want stuff from God. Or um, I, I don't really want him in on all of my life. I just want to either see some cool stuff, have some great experiences, meet some friends, and he'll sort me out. But that's not what Jesus is after. That's not what Jesus is saying. Um, to believe in Jesus is a lot bigger than that. So this leads on. So Jesus puts his finger on the purpose of all of humanity. It's to believe in the one that God has sent. But the crowd say, well, prove it. What sign do you do so that we can believe you? Our ancestors, talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, they ate manna. And that was pretty impressive. So we trust Moses. So go on. What can you do? And obviously, it's a bit ironic, isn't it? Having just eaten kind of a little boy's packed lunch, which spread around. But they, they want more. They want to have their bellies full again, it seems. And Jesus responds in verse 32, saying, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, thinking that this is still just actual bread, hovis stuff, they say, sir, always give us this bread, as if it was just some stuff that they could get. But Jesus says, no, it's not stuff that I'll give you. It's me. He says, I am the bread of life in verse 35. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's a deep thing, isn't it? it it's very significant. The fact that, that he's not just a dispenser of stuff. Think back to getting to know someone. We're getting to know the true and living God who Jesus claims to be, this I am. And this I am isn't just a distant, aloof God who just dishes out blessings kind of over there and doesn't want anything to do with you. 
as if it's just bread to be tossed to some ducks. This is a God who says, have the bread, it's the bread of eternal life, but that's me. So it's saying, have me. And it goes further. I mean, I won't, there's so much in this passage, we can't deal with it all, I'm afraid. You'll probably be glad to know, to be honest. But he goes on later saying, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He gives himself. So this God that Jesus is explaining to us, who he is, he isn't the God that we would come up with ourselves. Because most people's idea of God is a selfish kind of guy who's, when one of my friends says, he's high on power, low on personality. But that's not the true God. This God of Jesus, this Jesus God, he is the bread of life. He is the God of provision, of satisfaction. And he gives life. He's selfless in doing this. He says, I am the bread of life. But it has significance and implications to us, doesn't it? Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, is a statement about himself, but in the light of what he says about himself, it's a statement about who we are. Intrinsic, well, by implication. So what it means for us, the significance of this statement for everyone whether we believe in Jesus or not, is it implies that we're all hungry. It means that we don't have life. If Jesus is the bread of life, then that leads on for everyone to need him. And to need bread is to be hungry. But this isn't just food, of course. This is hungry for life itself. Now, hunger is one of those mechanisms built into us but it seems to encompass everything about us. I'm a little bit hungry now. I can feel myself going. But when we're really hungry, it is physical, isn't it? You feel the growl and groan in your stomach. And maybe if it goes on longer, maybe pain. But our minds also, it reaches our minds. So you crave food or you can think about food. You, can, you start daydreaming. Maybe, yeah, don't start daydreaming about what you're going to have for dinner now. But you can do that. But it can also affect your emotions can't it? I certainly know when Ellie is hungry, and she knows when I'm hungry. We call it being hangry. You can have that one. You can use it. But it does. It, it encompasses everything, isn't it? When you're hungry, it changes who you are. And Jesus is saying, as people, naturally, we're hungry for Jesus, for him. We were made for him, and without him, we're hungry. We're hungry, not for just bread or food or whatever, but spiritually, we're hungry for life. That's built into us as well, isn't it? It's, it's a craving. No one would choose, well, I mean, there's some crazy diets around, but generally, your stomach and your body tells you that you need to eat. And it's like that with spiritual hunger. 
There's something in us that needs filling, and it leads us to desires. And these desires aren't wrong as such, because we're made to feed on Christ. We'll get into what that means in a little while, but we're, we're made to be satisfied in Jesus. So that longing for life is good and right to have, just as it's natural for us to be physically hungry. But if we don't fill our lives with Jesus, then we see that we look to be satisfied in so many other areas, don't we? This spiritual hunger gives us cravings for all different things that we think will satisfy. And we see this in how many times have you been told, just do what makes you happy. Or I just want to be happy. It's that looking for contentment, for satisfaction. And we fill our lives with all kinds of different things because we have this uh, natural craving and desire in us. And we fill it with things like uh, status, success, money, all these things, which are, are good. They're, they can be very good things. But when we're looking for them to fill our spiritual hunger, well, that's just not going to satisfy, is it? I suppose it's, I, I don't want to offend anyone who loves Chinese food or is Chinese, but there's that old cliche, isn't it, where you eat Chinese food and it tastes great, doesn't it? I love it. But an hour later, you're hungry again. And that can be what looking for satisfaction in all these other places can be like. Jesus is the only one. He is the bread of life who can give us eternal life. But eating everything else just doesn't satisfy. In fact, it makes us crave more and more and more. And so it's never enough. You never earn enough money. You never have the status that you've been aiming for. Things aren't just that perfection in your family. Whatever it may be, you're always longing for more. It could be a different thing for each one of us. But that hole in our lives can only be filled for each one of us by the Son of God who sent from the Father, Jesus Christ. But it comes down to the fact that we just don't know what's good for us. We've got to admit that we don't know ourselves. We don't know what we need. Do you ever do that when you, you haven't had a tea or a coffee all day? And maybe you're like me, and you get a bit grumpy if you don't. And, and I get like this, maybe at half 11 in the morning. I think the world's going to end. I've got a headache, and I'm very grumpy. And then I have a cup of coffee, and things are actually all right. And I didn't know that's what, I, that's what my body was craving. I'm not saying it's good that I crave it, but that I didn't actually realize that that's what I was needing. And it can be like that as well, can't it? Because I'm not saying that if you're without Jesus, you're not happy. You can be very happy, but, you're, but you just don't realize what you're missing out on. It's another, it's another dimension of happiness. Imagine not eating for your whole life. Um, well, imagine living your life on Tic Tacs, put it that way. And you think, yeah, I'm pretty happy. If I eat enough of them, I can kind of get full but then it's still there. And then someone offers, I mean, it's probably not healthy to just then dive into a roast dinner, but imagine then someone offers you, whatever, a roast dinner. You just wouldn't know it. It's another level, isn't it? 
I can be like that for someone. You don't know what you're missing out on until you meet this living God who is the bread of life. And our society, of course, is full of distraction. Do you do that? Sometimes I'm so busy that I skip lunch and you kind of forget that you're hungry. And we can be like that as well. We can be so distracted by doing other things that we forget our physical hunger. But the society we live in today seems to go out of its way to distract itself or we distract ourselves more like. So we fill our time full of checking Facebook and just, I mean, I find it difficult sometimes just to to sit at home without the radio on, without anything on, just be by yourself and think, I'm just being distracted from reality, actually. And I think that could be us filling our lives, distracting ourselves from the hunger which is rumbling away. I think it could be something like that. But Jesus' statement, although all these implications are found to be us, I mean, Jesus is the solution to all of what we are. So we are hungry. We're deeply hungry for life. We look for it in all the places. But Jesus stands up. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been craving and not even knowing it. And the offer is there to feed on him, to have life, to be raised up on the last day. All these things, all these promises in this passage we've seen, it's all found not just from Jesus, but in Jesus. He offers himself as our satisfaction. Now, what does it mean to eat the flesh of Jesus? Did you know that the early Christian church was accused of being cannibals because they had this weird ritual, it seems, where they used to eat the body of this guy and drink his blood. They also were accused of um, committing incest as well because they called each other brother and sister and all these slanderous things. But they, they thought that they were cannibals. And it's because of this, uh, it's so blunt, isn't it, language? But of course, it's picture language because he's not talking about literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But some people there at the time obviously thought that he was speaking literally and took offense at him. And that seems to be a recurring theme in the gospel according to John. Can you think of um, in John chapter 3, that famous bit about being born again? This teacher of the law, Nicodemus, thought that Jesus saying you literally have to be born again, which is, you don't want to think about it, if literally. But, but Jesus isn't talking about literally eating his flesh. It's paralleled, isn't it, throughout this pas- passage, that to have eternal life is to eat his flesh, but it's also to believe in him. So I think that's the first and key thing that Jesus is saying here, to eat his flesh is to receive him, is to believe in him. So that's not so much um, into your stomach, but through your ears. It's to hear, to receive his word, and to accept it, to receive it. So 
it says at the start of John's gospel in chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So to receive him is to believe in him. And to do that, you, you get Jesus. That is how you feed on Jesus. So it's not literal, and it's to, to believe, trust in him, have faith in him. But there's also a, a second connotation, I think, to what it means to eat the flesh of Jesus and to drink his blood. Because he's talking about his death on the cross. Um, there's a passage in 2 Samuel. It might seem like I'm going off on a tangent, as I often do. But when um, this phrase of drinking someone's blood, drinking the, drinking the blood of, um, of the men, um, comes up, and it's because the men risk their lives. Let me read this to you. Just I'll explain. It'll be easier. It's in 2 Samuel the, uh, chapter 23, and it's with David. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time uh, to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly that, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. So the, G so the Bible explains itself here by saying to drink the blood of someone is to live at the expense of someone's life. Can you see that from the passage here? The mighty men risk their lives to go and get David just this glass of water, or, well, probably more than the glass, from Bethlehem, his hometown. But David will not drink it because he would not drink their blood, as it were. And it's, it's like that um, with Jesus. Because... To eat the flesh and to drink the blood of Jesus is to believe who he says he is is true. But what, who he says he is is the Son of Man who came down to die in the place of the world. He said on the, the night that he was to die, he took bread and he took the wine and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup of wine, and he said, drink this in remembrance of me. It's my blood of the new covenant. So it's clear that this is connected with his death. It's debatable whether this passage is connected with the Lord's table, but it's certainly referencing his death. Because to believe in Jesus is to live um, at the expense of Jesus is to realize that for us to be satisfied, he had to be emptied. It's for us to be full, he had to be forsaken. And we see this at the cross. He takes our place because we deserve to be forsaken, whereas he deserved to be praised 
He deserved to be satisfied and to be content and to be blessed and all this. But Jesus steps down and he offers himself so that we can be satisfied. And he dies in our place so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be at peace with God, be in relationship with him. And it's that relationship that brings a deep-seated peace to our lives and to be satisfied, to have that spiritual hunger finally silenced and to be, feel, and to be feeling full. There is, um, it's important that Jesus says, I am the bread of life as well. Of course, it's a, div- a divine claim. He's saying he's the God who is the bread of life. That's why he can do this. That's why he can take our place. That's why um, he can satisfy us. But it, it also just kind of taking it at face value, saying, I am the bread of life, is to say that Jesus is what he says he is. Jesus says, I am, and not I will be whatever you want me to be. Because one person might want Jesus to be this, just a religious teacher maybe, but not as their Lord and Savior. Or someone else might want him just to give some blessings like business success or wealth or whatever it may be. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is who he says he is. He says, I am the bread of life. It's not up to us to choose what he is. But what we must do is to accept him just as he is not receive him in bits and pieces, but to receive him and accept him as he is.